Let's pray once more. Father, we heard this morning how the scriptures cannot be broken. So it is appropriate and it's good for us to conclude our Lord's Day once again with your scriptures. We thank you that they remain unbroken. We thank you for Christ. We thank you for the Father. We thank you for the Spirit. We pray now, Spirit, that you would be with us here as we open your word. We thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good evening. It's a great joy to be with you all here tonight. If you are visiting, maybe for the first time, or visiting from another church, we're glad you're here. Pastor Kevin has been walking us through the book of Exodus for many months now. But tonight we're going to flip back one book to the book of Genesis and examine one of the stories that sets the stage for the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bible, or you can take one in the pew rack in front of you, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Turn to Genesis chapter 22. Let me read for us God's word. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to, the young, to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hands the fire and the knife. So, so went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham then reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and, not, and have not withheld your son your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sands that, that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his en enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men 
And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemal the father of Aram, Hesed, Hazo, Pildash, Gildap, and Bethel. Bethel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Remu, bore Teba, Gehom, Tahash, and Makah. I love being a father. My son walked out, gave me a quick goodbye. I love being a father. I have three children. Yes, you heard that right. Someone who works here at this church with only three children. (laughs) I love reading to my kids. I love playing baseball with them. I love taking my daughter to the father-daughter dance at school. I love singing to them at bedtime. I love watching them grow up. I love seeing their character develop. I love seeing their inquisitive minds discovering things for the very first time. I love being a dad. So I can only imagine how much Abraham also loved being a father. All he wanted his whole life, I can imagine, was a son. He was rich and he was powerful, but you see his wife, Sarah, was barren. She couldn't have children. He was 86 years old and had long lost hope of having a son to pass his life on to. But in Genesis 12, Abraham met God and his entire life would change forever. God told him to leave his home. God told him that he would have great blessing, land, wealth, renown, and a family. At 86 years old, God promised Abraham that he would indeed be a father. He would have a family. He would have a son. In fact, God just didn't tell him that he would have a son, but that his family, his name, his sons, would be a blessing to all the nations in the earth. But Abraham would have to wait. Even after receiving this promise, he had to wait 14 more years before God would give him his son, Isaac. He had to wait almost 100 years before his son would come. 100 years. Friends, can you imagine waiting that long? Can you imagine the waiting and the waiting and the waiting even after the promise had been received? Can you imagine the discouragement day in and day out? Can you imagine the heartache? Can you imagine the floods of doubt that you might have been prone to? Is God really going to keep his promise? I'm 100 years old. And then, friends, can you imagine after 100 years of waiting, the day when that child came? Can you imagine holding him in your arms for the first time, watching him take his first steps, knowing that it is through this child that all the world will be blessed? Isaac. Can you imagine how much being a father meant to Abraham? Can you imagine how much importance, how much worth, how much value Abraham placed on being a father. Tonight we're going to see four things. Four things in this chapter. We're going to see God's central place. Second, we're going to see God's chosen method. Third, we're going to see God's costly sacrifice. And finally, fourth, God's covenant promise. God's central place, his chosen method, his costly sacrifice, and his covenant promise. 
Read with me again in Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2, as we look at God's central place. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. If you're reading just through the Bible chronologically, you come to these first two verses and you think to yourself, what? Wait, God told Abraham to do what? God, you made Abraham wait a hundred years and then you want him to kill the boy? Wasn't this the child through all the world in which it would be blessed? God, how? God, why? The request is shocking, is it not? It is gut-wrenching and completely blindsides us as readers. Notice how the author builds on the anguish with each phrase. Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and finally his name, Isaac. It gets more and more personal. It builds and builds almost as if God himself is taking the knife and plunging it deeper and deeper in. Friends, what are we to do with this? What are we to do with this blindsiding, gut-wrenching, and on the surface, downright cruel request from God? This may not be very comforting, but here's what I think God wants us to realize. That there are times when we simply cannot figure out what God is doing in the moment. Yes, we may be able to, on this side of the cross, understand the imagery, understand what God was doing in that time, but imagine being Abraham, and imagine having God, having Yahweh, speak to you directly, say, kill your son for me. Friends, we may not face a trial of faith like this one, but do not be mistaken, you and I will face trials of faith. We will face trials of faith that cause us to shake our heads and say, what? God, you brought this into my life? God, you want me to do this? You want me to give this up? Look back at the text and make no mistake that this is God and God alone testing Abraham. There's no mention of the devil. There's no mention of the world. It was God's doing. One, one commentator says this, there will be times when you cannot make heads or tails of what God is doing. There may be times when everything you thought you knew about God is up for grabs, when God seems to be so strange that he doesn't even seem to be himself. So what do we do with that? What do we do with a God that we don't understand in these first two verses of Genesis 22? What are we to do with God's confusing ways in our own life? What is he trying to teach us? What is he trying to teach Abraham? Well, friends, here's what I think God wants us to know. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that can compete with God for first place in our lives. There's nothing. There's nothing that can compete with God for the center stage in your life, no matter what the circumstances you find yourself in. We have no idea in this moment, in Genesis chapter 22, why God seeks to test Abraham in this specific way. We don't have any indication that it's because Abraham was in sin, but we do know that God wanted to have full claim on his life. 
and he was willing to go to great lengths to test him. Friends, we, we cannot always figure out God, but here's one thing that we always do know about him, that he demands to be at the center stage, the center of your life. He will have no other competitors. He will share first place with no one. He will not allow for anyone or anything to rob him of what is rightfully his. God is the creator of all things. He created you and me, and he has the rightful claim over your life and mine. So we need to stop. We need to stop these just two verses in, and we have to ask ourselves, is there anything that is competing with God for first place in my life? Is there anything that I love more than God? Is it my career? Is it my financial security? Is it the relative comfort and ease in which I live in? Is it my family? My children? My son? My daughter? God says, for I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God demands to be the center place in your life. Second, we see God's chosen method. What do we do? What does Abraham do in this? God meets him. He tells him to slaughter his son. Tells Abraham that he wants to kill Isaac. What would you do, friends? What would you do if God came and spoke to you this way? What are we to do in the face of God's mysterious ways at time? Read with me about God's chosen method beginning in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hands the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Friends, God's chosen method for his men and his women are always the path of obedience even when it doesn't make sense. Abraham receives this heart-wrenching command in verses 1 and 2. And in verse 3, what do we see him do? He rose early in the morning. He took his son. He cut the wood. He went to the place God told him. There's no bickering. There's no bargaining. There's no even second thought mentioned here. That's not to say at all this was easy. But Abraham simply did as God told him to do. Friends, can you imagine the outcry today? Can you imagine if Abraham lived in our world, a world with social media and news, on, cable news on 24-7? Can you imagine what the response would have been? Reporters coming up to Abraham asking him, so Abraham, tell us, how did you feel when God told you to do this? 
But the text just tells us that the next morning, Abraham obeyed God. He got up and did what God asked him. Verse 6, he took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. God calls us to put him at the center of our lives, and then we do so, friends, by walking in obedience to his commands, no matter what they are. Abraham's sentiments, his feelings, his struggles were all real. I cannot imagine the pain that he was in. But where are those things mentioned in the text here? Where does it record Abraham's anxiety? The text doesn't record them for us because it isn't stressing how he felt. Undoubtedly, he had numerous thoughts and emotions flooding his heart and his mind. But the text simply records what Abraham did. And he obeyed. Have you ever thought how? How could he have done this? How could he have obeyed in this manner? How was he able to obey in the face of such a perplexing and painful command? One commentator says this, innumerable thoughts might have come into his mind, each of which could have overwhelmed his spirit. But Abraham had been fortified by faith. Abraham was a man who walked by faith. And how was his faith so well sustained that he was able to obey God completely? Look again with me at verse 5 and then later in verse 8. Verse 5, then Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. Abraham doesn't know how. He doesn't know when. He doesn't know why. But he does express a confidence in the character of God. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. You see, Abraham had been walking with God at this point for some time now. He had seen his ways. He knew he could be trusted even when he couldn't be understood. Isaac asked the question in verse 7, Father, where is the lamb? And Abraham's response in verse 8, God and God alone will provide the lamb. God will see to it that the lamb is provided. You can almost imagine Abraham responding to his boy, Tears welling up in his eyes, unable to understand, not sure of what to do, but knowing God, knowing what he had promised him, and walking by faith, saying, don't worry, Isaac, I don't have all the answers. I don't know where the lamb is right now, but son, we're walking by faith and not by sight. Hebrews eleven nineteen. Abraham considered, he reasoned. He calculated that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Abraham knew God so well that he believed that he had the power to raise his son from the dead. He considered, he reasoned, he calculated that he knew the character of God well enough to know that God was always for Abraham's good. And he didn't question that. He followed that. He obeyed him. Brothers and sisters, do you know God this well? Do you know God well enough that when trials of various kinds come and first place in your heart is up for grabs, that you can recall God's character, you can recall God's promises, you can recall God's faithfulness and say, Lord, I don't understand. I can't see all that you're doing. But I've walked with you long enough. 
I can trust you. I know that you will never leave me. I know that you will never forsake me. Brothers and sisters, do you know God this well, like Abraham? Derek Kidner says, Abraham's response combines complete certainty about God with complete openness as to the detail. In other words, he is sure of God even when he is not sure of God's method. God's chosen method for us is obedience, but we see thirdly that it's only made possible by God's costly sacrifice. Look back with me beginning in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, bound his son Isaac, and laid him on top of the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Verses 9 and 10 continue to build the suspense. They get to the altar. Abraham lays the wood in order, begins to tie his son up and lay him there. Then Abraham reaches out, takes the knife, and begins to slaughter his son in obedience to God's command. And only at the last moment does God say, no, Abraham, I'm going to spare Isaac. I'm going to spare you. Abraham had passed his test. He had proven to God that he does remain the central figure in his life, that he has no other gods before him. He has shown him that he will obey him in any and all circumstances. He has shown him that, yes, he loves his son Isaac, but he loves his God more. Verse 12, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. We read this text and we want to lavish praise on Abraham. What a great man of faith he was. Certainly we can do that and marvel at his faith. It's recorded in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. But this text here in Genesis 22 is less about Abraham and it's more about God. Look with me again at verse 14. What is the name of the place? The name of the place is not Abraham passed the test. It's not Isaac lives. The name of the place is Yahweh will provide. The emphasis is no longer on Abraham. It's on God. Because yes, Isaac was spared, but there still was a sacrifice. Abraham is spared from being the father that took the life of his son to appease the wrath of God. Abraham calls the place the Lord will provide because there was still a sacrifice. Verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. You see, a sacrifice was still necessary. 
Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, God has been providing a substitute so that his people might still live. Our sin deserves death and punishment and the wrath of God. So God in his kindness and his mercy provided a substitute for Isaac. It was the ram. And friends, in order to maintain a right standing with God, God would direct his people for generations from Abraham on to make atonement, a payment to amend a wrong for their sins through a complex sacrificial system. Every day, Israelites would sacrifice their best rams, their best goats, their best livestock to God, and the priest would forgive them of their sins. But it was an exhausting and time-consuming, costly practice. Yet every day, for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, God, God's people would offer him sacrifices as substitutes for their sin. But here notice that God is the one who provides the substitute. He's the one who provides the sacrifice. He offers up a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And in doing so, he calls us to look forward to the day when daily sacrifices were no long, would no longer be needed. Looking forward to the day when God once again would provide a sacrifice who would save the life of his people. Looking forward to a time when God would not hold back his only son as Abraham was spared from doing. You see in Romans 8.32, the Apostle Paul uses the same equivalent word for held back when he says, he who did not hold back his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? There would come a day when another son would climb up upon a pile of wood. He would obey his father completely, but there would be no substitute on that day. There would be no ram caught in the thicket. The wrath of God would come down on him finally and ultimately as a payment for the sins of God's people forever. Friends, do you know this God? He is a God that demands first place in your life through the obedience to his word, but he's also a God who has provided the necessary and costly sacrifice so that all who believe in him might live. Friends, do you know him? Even tonight, have you trusted in Jesus Christ as the God-man who lived the perfect life, died the death that you and I deserve, and yet now freely offers himself to all who would put their faith in him? who would obey his word, make him the center of their life. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that God has provided a way for mankind to be reconciled, brought back to him. How do we know this to be true? How do we know that we can make God the center of our lives and receive the promise of forgiveness? Look once more at God's covenant promise found beginning in verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcow has borne children to your brother Nahor. 
Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemal the father of Aram, Hesed, Hazo, Pildas, Jidlap, and Bethel. Bethel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcal bore to Nahor and Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubines, whose name was Ramu, bore Tebal, Gehem, Tadash, and Makkah. Verses 15 through 19, God reaffirms his covenant promise to Abraham a second time. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as, as the sand is on the seashore. And in you and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. God's character and his promises have not changed. They did not change from the time that God gave Abraham this promise for the first time to now this time. And they have not changed to today. Time and time again, God makes covenant promises in his word. And he swears by himself, Hebrews 6, 13 and 14 For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. But look with me at verses 20 through 24. They're strange. It's a strange way to end a passage, is it not? I mean, verses 1 through 19, they they were painful, but at least they were exciting. <laughs> there was action going on. You know, there was a lot to happen. And then the last five verses end this way. What's God trying to tell us in these last few verses of the chapter? I want to give credit to Dr. Ralph Davis for his, in his book, Faith of Our Father, for helping me see the following point. Bear with me for just a second because I think this is important. It's important for us here today. Nahor is Abraham's brother. And the text tells us that he has not three, not seven, not eight. He has 12 sons born to two different women. And here's Genesis 22, the first 19 verses. What are they telling us? They're telling us that it took Abraham 100 years before he was able to have one legitimate son. And that one legitimate son almost got slaughtered. His brother, on the other hand, is not a follower of Yahweh. He does not trust in the one true God. And yet he is popping out kids left and right, while Abraham is scratching and clawing for the life of one son. Dr. Davis says this, do the math. Nahor's clan isn't scratching along with one single measly son who almost got sacrificed. God's chosen people appear fragile, few, flimsy, and unimpressive besides the vigorous growth and strength of the non-covenant life. God's people so often seem weak and nondescript over and against the successes and achievements and power of the world around them. Friends, do you ever feel like Abraham? Could you imagine walking through this chapter in real life, going through what Abraham went through, and then in verse 20, it's told you, your brother's got 12 kids, just a reminder. You ever feel outnumbered in your workplace? I'm the only one who's trying to do what's right. I'm the only one who's trying to honor God. I'm the only one who's trying to obey God. Have you ever felt alone in your faith? Have you ever felt insignificant 
in the eyes of the world as a follower of Christ? I do. I've spent the last 15 or so years walking on college campuses with tens of thousands of college students. And I walk around a campus like UNC Charlotte or where I went to school at Elon University and I see thousands and thousands of students and their faculty and I think, am I the only one? Am I the only one who's trying to make God first place? Who's trying to walk with him and obey his commands? Am I the only one? Well, friends, if you've ever felt that, don't worry. You're in good company. Because the author of Genesis deliberately inserts these last few verses to highlight that's how Abraham must have felt too. He just walked with God and almost sacrificed his son in obedience to God's command. And he looks around and thinks, I got one compared to 12. I waited 100 years. Alone, isolated, insignificant in the eyes of the world. His brother as fruitful as ever. His family barely hanging on. Friends, we need to realize that God's people will always be outnumbered in this world. We will always be the minority. We will always be persecuted and marginalized and afflicted. The world will always outnumber us with power and prestige. So don't chase those things. But the end of Genesis 22 tells us, don't worry about that. It teaches us that God's plan and God's purposes will not fail. His covenant promises will succeed. His word will not return void. Abraham had one measly son who almost got sacrificed. And his brother couldn't stop having kids. But that didn't matter. Because God's plan was still unfolding. It hadn't been stopped and his promises will come to fruition. Dr. Davis concludes his section on this passage by retelling a story of the great reformer Martin Luther, who was once doing a devotion on the story of Genesis 22 with his family. Luther painstakingly read the story to his family, and when he had finished, his wife Katie exclaimed, I do not believe it. I don't believe that God would have treated his son that way. Luther then turned to her and said, but Katie... He did. Praise God that we worship and serve a God who did not hold back his only son, but graciously gave him up for your sake, for my sake. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Father, we know that if the story of Abraham is true, and if the promises that you have shared and revealed to him in your word are true, then we also know that one day we will be glorified. God, we can look around this world today and think it's so hard. We're so outnumbered. It's so difficult to follow you, God. 
constantly tempted to put other things before you. And yet, Lord, I pray here tonight for my brothers and sisters. May you remind us, your word does not return void. The scriptures will not be broken. All that you've promised to us is true, that we will receive in time. We thank you for the life of Abraham. Pray, Father, that we would emulate his faith, that we would see you, we would obey you, we would trust in your covenant promise. We thank you for this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.